Hello and welcome to the People Powered Green Left Podcast, where we give the voice to the 99% and not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode. This forum was organised by Socialist Alliance and Green Left, and we initiated this forum before Lydia left the Greens because we feel that the issues of sovereignty and treaty and First Nations justice, not just the voice, are really important for us to be discussing right now. And we invited Lydia to speak primarily because of her role in the First Nations communities. So it wasn't just that she was a member of parliament or just that she was a Green Senator, but also for her role and her family's role in First Nations community. And we also invited Uncle Gary Murray to speak um, because he's, I worked closely with him in the city of Meribek. I first met him uh, in the campaign to save the Ballot Maroop Aboriginal school from being closed down. We lost that, but now we're fighting for the land to be returned um, to be a First Nations community hub. Um, but Uncle Gary has done a lot of thinking about issues about treaty and how all of these process, processes would work. So our first speaker, Uncle Gary Murray, uh, you know, because of um, some health issues, has had to join in to the meeting via Zoom. It was touch and go because he had a health issue today, but he's able to join us via Zoom tonight. So he will be speaking first. So Uncle Gary Murray is a traditional owner. He's a he's key person in the Victorian Traditional Owners Land Justice Group. He's also a multi-clan descendant of the Wamba Wamba, the Judaroa, the Rudgery, Yorta Yorta, Baraparapa, Jajarurung, and the Weragaya nations. Um, we also have Lydia Thorpe, a senator, um, but probably more importantly, um, she's... Uh, from the Jabirong, Gunai, Gunai and uh, Gunditjmara, um, and she's been deeply involved in the in the First Nations struggles for many years. So thank you, Gary. Gary, you've got about 20 minutes. All right. Good evening, everybody. Um, you're looking good there, even if I can't see you. Um, I'd like to um, pay my respects to all the First Nations in Victoria, and there are 38 First Nations, and they've all got clans and histories and language and country and all that. And my concern, my concern about the, the voice goes back a long way. We've heard it all before. We've seen our elders walk from Corrindirk in the 1880s to complain about stuff to Parliament, and it fell on deaf ears. We've seen people walk up from Cumbergundi into Victoria and a similar thing happened there. And we've seen the Aboriginal Development Commission, um, the Aboriginal Loans Commission, Partner Aboriginal Affairs. All these structures um, have basically gone because they failed. And why they fail is because there is a lack of self-determination in practical terms. And we see it every day in this state. And I'm, I'm only going to talk about this state, but I reckon it would apply to all the other states and territories as well. Of course, we need a national entity, but we don't need an advisory committee. That is rubbish. You know, we've been there, done that back in the 1950s and um, 1960s. 
Um, and that's all they are, advisory committees. Um, ATSEC, whilst it had some problems, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, Commission, I think that was on the right track. And then John Howard comes along and wipes out um, the body as well as the funding. And then so now, um, 2nd of February 2016, I'm fast forward in a bit, um, we had a huge statewide meeting at Zinc Conference Centre in Biray Mart, Federation Square, and 400 plus people turned up from all over the state. And the debate was about the voice, constitutional reform. And that particular statewide meeting was strongly against the voice and any constitutional reform and wanted a treaty, wanted an elders entity and all the nations involved in this treaty process with the state of Victoria. And that's what happened. We went on that path, February 2016, and people seem to forget it, particularly those new skin leaders that are out there running around saying they represent an act force. Well, they don't. The mandate was done in February 2016 at Fed Square, and that mandate has never been changed. We oppose the voice, oppose constitutional reform, and the latest versions of it are even worse than what was mooted back there in 2016. What we need is a sovereign entity, not necessarily put in the constitution, probably not. And we need an entity that um, can avoid the Johnny Howards of the past where it gets abolished because the political government at the time chooses to do that. We want something that is sustainable. We want something that's linked to local communities, particularly First Nations. We have 38 nations in Victoria and they've all got different levels of operating. And I'll tell you this now, um, if this mob in Canberra and, and the elite leadership think that we're, we're going to settle for two representatives, they've got to be joking. You know, how is, how is two reps going to represent 38 First Nations? That's impossible. And that's proven today with the First Peoples Assembly, where only 10 nations out of 38 have a seat on that assembly compliments of the two co-chairs who haven't shown proper leadership and they should be gone. They've wasted three and a half years of taxpayers' dollars. They haven't got the eldest entity set up either and they certainly haven't got 38 nations sitting in the assembly. Um, this assembly expires probably June when the next election's on and we hope there'll be structural challenges. But notwithstanding, we've now got the First People's Assembly We've got the treaty authority being set up. We have a self-determination fund of some $60 million pumped into it as the first instalment to allow First Nations to engage experts and have meetings and the rest of it to finally draft treaties across this state. And that's really important. And my view is that what we're trying to fix up here in this state, once we got it right, it's the perfect model for perhaps the, um, the Commonwealth. Um, climate as well. Um, I think it's really important that we recognise that, you know, our dispossession, our dispersal, our deculturalisation, the mass murders, the rapes and everything else that was going on on colonisation is still here with us. It's baggage we have every generation and we have to fix this. Every day of my life I wake up. In fact, when I was born in Barrow Randall in 1951, September was a hot summer, and um, my mother and her friend 
um, had my mother had to birth me on the veranda of that hospital. You know, and there was no white sheets in them days. It was just grey blankets out on the veranda with the mosquitoes and snakes and everything else while the white mothers went inside. And that's from day one with me. And I've seen that racism and, and all that all my life. And I've been around seven decades. So I've seen the politics. I've seen the people involved in it. And I think what's out there at the moment is a very dangerous elite. And we see them in our ivory towers at Melbourne Uni and even in the assembly. And these fellows need to get sorted out. They need to come back to the people and start sorting out a proper way of doing cultural business. And that includes the political structures that we, that we need to do. On the question of sovereignty, I, I think the jury's still out on that. And I won't believe no advice, because that's exactly what it is. You need to get a high court judge or retired judges to have a look at it and make sure that our sovereignty has never ceded. And um, my guess is that as long as we don't see it, it's still there. What we've got to work out is how we live it, how we practice it, and what sort of land rights we need to make sure, just like the Canadian Indians and the American Indians I visited in 1987, there was one uh, reservation that had 900,000 acres, had its own hydro scheme, their own housing, their own tribal council and the police to enforce the law, LORE. And that, to me, was a concept that could work here in Victoria. Um, and we'd obviously get, have to get land back to do that. And to make the point about land rights, we're just a little black dot on the map of Victoria. We haven't got much land back. We've got about 25,000 acres across the state, spread between Lake Tyres, Framlingham and Camera up in southern New South Wales, and, you know, bits and pieces with co-ops and housewives and the rest of it. That's not good enough. If we're going to lift our people out of, you know, the potential of what's happening in Alice Springs and you don't have to look at Alice Springs to sort of see what's bad about dispossession and dispersal and deculturalisation, you can go to Swan Hill here. You can go anywhere in any one of the 35 communities around this state and you can sort of see that we also have the socioeconomic, the subcultural poverty and the rest of it. And it's really important that we address that stuff. And the only way you address that is by having First Nations clans treaties. And we still have to work out what that means. And 38 nations with 300 clans across Victoria. And by the way, it's a lot of genocide in that, in that sort of numbers. Um, for example, you're all sitting on Wurundjeri or Wunurong um, country. And Wurundjeri, for example, have seven clans, but only two are recognised as having descendants. So the five other clans the genocide's completed them, disappeared them off this globe. And that's an indictment on colonisation even now and what's happening to us. Um, I think it's, it's good that councils are now starting to get involved in the treaty space. And, and, and that's what it is. It's a treaty space that's unique in Victoria. And we need to look hard at how this fits with the national scene. Nationally, um, we, we definitely need something national. Uh, we have to replace the old attic, and I think we can do something better. But, you know, this issue of the advisory committee better in a constitution, I don't agree with one bit. I think it's a wrong move, wrong political move, and it's um, taken scraps from the white man's constitutional table. I think that the other, the, the other imperative is that First Nations have to be properly resourced 
to do the business we're in. You know, the business we're in, we do cultural we do native title, we do land justice, we do economic development, we, you know, we provide services in health and education and housing and all that. Well, we've really got to have a good look at and review how that's operating. <laughs> Senator Thorpe, stop ringing me. <laughs> and the funding of um, First Nations, obviously, you know, there's a $60 million in the self-determination fund, but that's to build the capacity of the nations to do their treaties, negotiate their treaties with the state. And I think that's an interesting thing for Victoria. But overall, I think we need to review how we fund Aboriginal affairs in this state. There is corruption. There is nepotism. There is cronyism. We all know that. It's been there for years. And it's time we fix that up. And we might have to even look at some sort of Indigenous First Peoples um, Anti-Corruption Commission, for example. So that would be new. I think um, treaties have to have integrity. They have to have culture. They have to be professional and well-organised. And um, I think um, our people are in a position here in Victoria to do that stuff. And at the moment, this voicing is a bit of a distraction. And I think we need to get back to what the real game is. That is, start writing our treaties. You know, don't complain about it if you're not sitting out there drafting your family's treaties up, drafting up your clan's treaties and drafting up your nation's treaties. And um, I think that's really important. We start getting our heads around what goes in a treaty. It's really straightforward. A treaty is an agreement, like a contract. And basically what would go in is, is it would address the question of sovereignty. What does it mean in practical terms and what sort of funding it would need? It would address the reparations question, the ongoing compensation for loss of their lands and waters, minerals and everything else. It would address the issue of um, land rights and all the other things. Treaty is like a book with chapters and there's a chapter on everything. On our country, we have all the chapters around things like stolen gens, kids that out of home care and so on and so on. We need to start looking at it at the local level. We need to really look at that local scene and say, right, how is a treaty, how is anything going to fix that? And there's a lot of stuff out there that needs fixing. We're still getting deaths in custody. What, how bad is that? 1991 was when that report came out from the Royal Commission. And here we are, virtually 30 years later, and we're still copping deaths in custody and, and bad stuff like that. So I think from, a, from the point of view, treaty can work for us, but I think we've got to play it very carefully. And we've got to make sure we're on top of the game here. Just one other thing, I suppose. Um, my, my grandfather, Francis Doug Nichols, um, a couple of quotes for you to, to think about. You can play the black notes on a piano and play the white notes, but to get harmony, you have to play both. Think about that in the context of reconciliation, race relations, and having, um, you know, good neighbours and the rest of it. And he also said, how can we fly like eels when you feed us like chooks? And I think that's really important because the advisory committee is a chook. I'm done.
but um, I feel like I'm in a safe space and I thank you all for coming uh, to hear some truth um, without any filter or uh, truth without any um, party lines. So um, I'll first acknowledge the traditional country and pay my respects to the people of the Kulin Nation. I know that we have uh, warranty people in the audience, so I particularly pay my respect to them. And I thank them for allowing us in your country uh, and allowing every non-First Nation person in this room to benefit from being on someone's land. Uh, there's a great sacrifice that was made by Wurundjeri and Goodmarang and many other clans and nations across this country for people to live a nice life on our land. The only people who seem to benefit from our land are the very people who come from it. And that's the sad state of this country today. Uh, I will also want to pay my respects to um, particularly of one, well, there's a number of beautiful elders out there, um, both black and white, who've been on the journey and they know who they are, particularly from Isja, um, but also aren't, you know, who I'm talking about and I love you for turning up every time because you're a constant reminder that sorry isn't good enough when we've got 22,000 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children still in out-of-home care today, and I see a brother over there too. Thank you, brother. That, um, and my uncle. <laughs> Thank you. I feel, I feel better now. Okay, relax, relax. I'm not going to be um, attacked like I have been um, without people having an understanding of where I come from and what I'm saying. Uh, I've had to stop one person from coming in the room tonight because they have attacked me um, at a funeral, a non-Aboriginal person, questioning my motives. So I do have to be careful when I'm out in public from now on. Uh, and I want to give you a little bit of who I am. You know, I'm a grandmother, I'm 50 this year. I have five grandchildren, three grand, three children, 32, 22 and 15. And I have, I'm the oldest of, I don't know how many, you know, 150 cousins. So I come with responsibility. I come with the love of a mother. And I come not as an angry black woman, how they portray me as, but I, I have angry black women moments when I continue to see our children taken, when there's another death in custody, when there's another suicide. And just the other day I did a photo shoot, you know, I've, I don't know how models do it, four hours in the bush, and I had to tell these fellas, you know, there's snakes in this bush. And five minutes later, we were dodging a tiger snake. 
But at that time, being on country, you know, I reflected on what's gone on and it's been very unfair. And that's capitalism and that's colonisation. And that's what they do to women like me. They don't know that I have... Well, actually, they probably know, but they don't care that I have a family, that I'm a single mum. They just paint me as this blank, black, angry, divisive figure that only wants peace. Like, at the end of the day, if you listen to my messaging, as Stan Grant put it, if you listen to what I say, I just want peace. I just want to unite this country like it's never been united before. I've been around for 50 years. My first job was at 14 at the Koori Information Centre in Fitzroy in Gertrude Street. I see my people begging in Gertrude Street. I saw one of my sister girls from Gippsland sleeping and begging in High Street, Northgate. It made me sick. It made me sick to the progressives out there, the gentrification, stepping over our bodies. Because it's too uncomfortable to face that in a perfect life. But that's what we face every day. We don't even step over whitefellas. <laughs> we don't. We don't step over anybody. Where's humanity? It's, in, it's ingrained in our culture. It's ingrained in the oldest constitution on the planet. And that is ours. This new constitution, it's a couple of hundred years old compared to you know, even that's questionable. Some say 60,000, 80,000. If you look at the, the recent findings on my country, Gunditjmara country, it tests many, many scientific theories out there about, you know, that we come from Africa. And, and ludicrous, racist theories about taking away who we are as a people. And now it feels that we are begging the coloniser to allow us to be an advisory body under their complete power. And I've listened to the stories from those people that are going around doing their roadshow. And I feel like I'm at church. I feel like I'm, people are being preached to, like this is going to save our soul. It's not going to save our soul. Implementing the recommendations into the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, like you heard Uncle Gary say, that's not my work. That's 1991. That's the year my son was born. I was 17. 
It's my old people's work. It's the solutions to incarceration and deaths in custody. And you know, in most of the recommendations they're not implementing are social factors like health and housing. There's no Medicare in prisons. There's no Medicare in prisons. And the Bringing Them Home report, <clears throat> we've got 22,000 kids. Five of my grand, two of my five grandkids are two of those kids in out-of-home care. And their parents get no support. Their parents are told, go and get yourself sorted, then you get your kids back. So parents who are struggling <clears throat> with what colonisation does to us every day and the racism to get a house, to get into rehab, to find a home, <laughs> to find a home. Who can find a home right now? Let alone all the support services you need to get well. So these kids, I've got no hope when their parents are told they've got no hope. So we're only asking to implement those recommendations that report is 20 years old. And my own mother was a co-commissioner into the Bringing Them Home report with Sir Ronald Wilson, a well-respected white man. Him and mum worked beautifully together to hear people's stories about being stolen. Aunt, I don't know if you were part of that one, but it was a, it's a long time ago and we've had a lot of people pass away since then. Too many. And now they want to give us an advisory body. Well, I think that <laughs> we deserve better than that. Excuse me. You know, well, excuse me. How dare I ask for better than that? How dare our people ask for better than that? You've seen what Parliament's like. We've got lunatics in there. Serious. We've got people who don't believe in climate change. We've got people who don't believe in freeing asylum seekers and refugees. This country still perpetrates genocide. Stealing children and putting them with another community is an act of genocide under the convention. We're also guilty of torture in this country. We are not a signature to the Prevention Against Torture as a country. We don't have a human rights bill as a country. And we don't have a treaty as a country. How's my time? Because I'm talking treaty. <laughs> treaty is real power, sovereign to sovereign. It's a negotiation for peace. It's an agreement on how we can build this country together. It's about not just being advisors. It's about having real power. We could have Senate seats as part of a treaty negotiation. It's an act of parliament. It's a piece of legislation. 
It's not a referendum. If Labor was so hand on heart, I want to help the blackfellas or the Aborigines. Implement the recommendations. Legislate Senate seats for every state and territory. Give us 3% of the GDP. That'll be later, but, you know, it's a nice thought. 3% of the GDP will, means no welfare for our mob. It's just paying the rent for all the stolen wealth that gets ripped out of our Mother Earth, pollutes our skies, kills our totems. A treaty is about peace. And we can do that. We don't have to wait like they say, oh, that's years down the track. That's a stalling tactic. Just like Labor are stalling the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. I got stabbed in the back on the undrip for this country by Labor. They went to the Libs and stabbed me in the back on my own private senator's bill to introduce the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. I was horrified and I was dis really disappointed in Patrick Dodson for throwing me under the bus to the Liberal Party, to be quite honest. And I told him I was disappointed because he's known me since I was a girl. So when you walk into that environment and you have someone like that do that to you, that hurt. I expect it from Pauline Hanson or, you know, one of those kind. But that's what's going on in there. Don't be fooled. Hawke wanted a treaty. Keating was good. Hawke was stopped from having a treaty in this country by his right-wing Labor counterparts. And they wanted to settle for less. And what is less? I ask you all today, go and look where the voice come from. Go and look where constitutional recognition comes from. And you'll find that you're sitting with mining magnates, you're sitting with John Howard, Julian Lisa, all the corporate magnet mining, corporate big shots like Qantas, that's who you're siding with. And I think, just think about that. <laughs> that should surely get your conscience thinking, maybe I need to find out a bit more, because it's not up for me to do your research. You have to do that. I'm on my own now. I don't have a, a, a big party to back me anymore. <sighs> I didn't have one to back me on our sovereignty. So it's me. No money, back to the drawing board as a, back, as a black sovereign movement. And if you want real justice for blackfellas in this country, stop being the hand on heart thinking that you're doing the right thing as, as so-called allies. I'm not asking you to vote no, and I'm not asking you to vote yes. I'm asking you to think very seriously about what you're agreeing to and what you think is best for us when you hear from the grassroots it's something completely different. 
And Victorian Treaty is exactly that. And Uncle Gary spoke about the 10 nations out of 38 in Victoria. How long have we been talking treaty in Victoria? We only have 10 nations out of 38. Treaty in Victoria is not the model to go by for this country because it excludes people. And while we're fighting amongst ourselves about who gets at the table, what's the Premier of um, logging and extinction doing? What's he doing? He's cutting down the forest. He's cutting down the forest. And are those, are those nations at the table? No. He's destroying everything we have left before we negotiate the treaty around the table. He's drilling, he's cutting trees, he's killing totems. And one of the other negotiation points of a treaty is crown land. And crown land is, should be for all of us, particularly the people whose land it is. But when it's handed over to TOs, it will be here forever. It will be our green spaces. But what's the premier of extinction and logging and selling off public housing doing? He's getting rid of all the crown land. So it's, you know, the poor white fellas and the poor black fellas are at it again. Well, I've had enough. And when I see my old public housing units being demolished, and the memories, the memories I have in those, the safety I had in those as a black single mum, that is being destroyed. And treaty can be a solution to that as well. We need to think about treaty as a blank canvas. Stop thinking about how treaties have been broken around the world. Yes, they, they have been broken but we have a blank canvas. We can rewrite the constitution with a treaty in this country. We can make it fairer for everybody so everyone does have a home, so that we're not locking up innocent people who come here for safety, and that we unite on all of those fronts. So I think I've gone well over time, but um, I'll leave it to questions and thank you very much for having me here. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. To continue producing shows like this, we need your support. Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.